Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit seekingtruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today is part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 40 and 41. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. In Mark's gospel, with him were crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. They were crucified and they reviled him. In Matthew's gospel, two robbers, one on the right, one on the left, they also reviled him. But in Luke last year, Luke gives us more clues. We read in Luke that two others also were criminals. They were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place, which was called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminal, one on the right, one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him coming up, offering vinegar and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanging railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. He's more repentant. Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, kingly power. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He's going to be restored within three days. Back to the right hand of the father. This is the thief who stole paradise. Two thieves. They were not named until the gospel of Nicodemus sometimes later. And they're called Dismas and Gestus. The penitent thief is Dismas. The impenitent, unrepentant thief is Gestus. You saw in the movie of the Passion of the Christ, the two thieves. Jesus looked at one on the right or on the left, the good thief, and his name is Dismas. He looked the other way, Gustus, the bad thief. And the bad thief has the crows above him. Remember pecking at him, it's his flesh, pecking at his eyes, just as the baker is going to have the bread on his head and the ravens are going to come and peck his flesh. All within three days, restored to paradise or demoted to Hades. In the spiritual, symbolic sense of scripture, the antitype being greater, we have God the Father is the antitype of the type Pharaoh. We have Jesus the Son as the antitype of the type Joseph. We have Dismas, the good thief, as the antitype of the cupbearer. We have Augustus, the bad thief, as an antitype of the baker. Dismas, the good thief, Augustus, the bad thief, and this Ancient icon shows an angel carrying the soul of the good thief, Dismas the cupbearer who accepts Christ as God. The demon spears the soul of the bad thief, Gustus the baker who mocks Christ. Dismas rebukes Gustus. He repents. He asks for Christ's blessing. Like the cup-bearing butler, Dismas is restored to the father. He's restored to Pharaoh. Jesus, is, this one is restored to the father. He is the first saint to enter paradise. Wow. Eve is the first to sin. The first to be redeemed is Dismas. This is a painting of Eve with Dismas, the good thief. 
He had a baptism of desire. The Latin teaching is a teaching of the Roman Catholic Church explaining that those who desire baptism but are not baptized with water through the Christian sacrament because of first they die. Nevertheless, they can receive the fruit of baptism at the moment of death if their grace of conversion included divine and universal Catholic faith, an internal act of perfect charity and perfect contrition by which their soul was cleansed of all sin. That's a baptism of desire. That's what the good thief had on the cross. In Catechism 1259, it tells us that catechumens who die before their baptism, at, but they had that explicit desire to receive baptism through their repentance and their sins and charity that assures them salvation that they were not able to receive through the sacrament. Say they die on the way to Easter Vigil in a car accident. They would still have the baptism of desire. Dismas rebuked Gestus. He repents and he asks for Christ's blessing and Dismas will be with Jesus that very day in paradise. And you see the old paintings. You can always look for Dismas and his cross. He's the good thief. There he is in the back of Jesus. He goes with Jesus to do what? the harrowing of Hades, to free the imprisoned spirits, to speak to the imprisoned spirits, the gospel of good news. And he says, today you will be with me. And all these paintings show Dismas, the good thief and his cross with Jesus, making it to paradise that very day. The good thief, the penitent thief, the first to enter paradise. He's painted on the wall of the Sistine Chapel where they vote for the next Pope. Up on the final judgment by Michelangelo, you can find his cross and there's Dismas the good thief, the first to enter paradise. St. Anastasia says of him, the penitent thief again is an evangelist. Oh, thou excellent one. Thou was crucified as a thief, but thou comes forth suddenly as an evangelist. He goes to preach the good news to, with Jesus to Haro Hades. St. John Chrysostom, the golden tongue, says this, the thief is now a prophet and he preaches from the cross. He's a robber and a Caesar of paradise. Thou sawest, he says, how he did not forget his former craft, even on the cross, but by his confession, he stole the kingdom. The thief purchased salvation from the tree. The thief stole the heavenly empire. He used compulsion to majesty. And below, we find no one before the thief to have merited the promise of paradise. Not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, not Moses, not the prophets or the apostles. But before all, we find the thief. He then compares the th faith of the thief to that of Abraham, Isaac, Ezekiel, and Moses. And this because he believed in him, not in the temple, nor on his throne, nor in his glory, but as he was on the cross in his torments. He sees him, he says, in torments and adores him as if we were, he were in glory. He sees him on the cross and prays to him as if he were sitting in heaven. He sees him and he calls upon him, hailing him as king of kings, saying, Lord, remember me when thou comest into your kingdom. Thou seest one crucified, and thou callest him a king. Thou seest him hanging on a tree, and thou thinkest of the kingdoms of the heavens. Oh, wonderful conversion of a thief. In the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, he says, But like the good thief, I cried, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Catechism 1021 says that death puts an end to human life at the time, open to either accepting or rejecting the divine grace manifested in Christ. We have until our very last breath to still rob paradise. It ain't over till it's over, right? If you're hoping for someone, if you're praying for someone to come to know Jesus, keep praying. The words of Christ on the cross to the good thief speak of a final destiny of the soul, a destiny which can be different for some than for others, which is exactly what we see with the butcher and the baker. They both have 
uh, not the butcher, the cupbearer, the butler, and the baker. They both have different destinies, right? The good thief, here's the Byzantine cross. It has a slanted foot bar. They do that because the good thief went up, the bad thief went down. That's why it's slanted. The butler is similar to the good thief, the cupbearer, the baker, the bad thief, Gustus. It, it, it's, it's a typology in the spiritual sense, the allegorical sense of scripture. Back to literal. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, sleek and fat, and they fed in the reed grass. You can count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There they are. And behold, seven other cows, gaunt and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the gaunt and thin cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. And Pharaoh awoke. What could this possibly mean? It was so vivid, so real, he was very troubled. He fell asleep again. He dreamed a second time. And behold, seven years of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, Pharaoh's spirit was very troubled. He wants to know what this means. It was so vivid. It was so real. They were two distinct dreams. Pharaoh sent for all the magicians of Egypt, all the wisest men to tell him the dream. Pharaoh told them the dream, but there was none, no one who could interpret the dream to Pharaoh. What does this mean? Then the chief butler, ah, the cupbearer that was restored after three days. The chief butler said to Pharaoh, he's the good one. I remember my faults. He's repenting. Ah, he's the good thief. He's the repentant one. Pharaoh was angry with his servants. You put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. And we dreamed on that same night. He and I each had our dream, our own dream with its own meaning. And this young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted them to us, so it came to pass. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before the Pharaoh of Egypt, the highest, most sovereign person in all the world. Egypt's the reigning world power at the time. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph gives all the glory to God, his God. Joseph answered, it is not in me. God, capital G, my God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, my forefathers, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven fat cows, sleek, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after that, poor, very gaunt, very thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin and the gaunt cows ate up the first seven fat cows. But then, when they had eaten them up, no one would have even known that they'd eaten them. They're still that thin. He's never seen cows this thin in the plentiful, wonderful land of Egypt. For they were still as gaunt as the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk full and good, and seven ears withered thin, blighted by the east wind sprouting after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. I told it to all the magicians, all the wisest men of Egypt, but no one, no one could explain it to me. And Joseph said to the Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. 
The seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one, one dream. The seven lean and gaunt cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he, what he, God, the God of Israel is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But then after that, there will arise seven years of great, great famine. All the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason that the famine which will follow for it will be very grievous. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. He gets two dreams. There's a double emphasis on the dream. It's fixed by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take the fifth part of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plenteous years. Joseph is proposing that he takes 20% of all the surplus, all the abundance of grain that's going to come in in the next seven years. 20%, one-fifth of the surplus is going to be a lot. How much is a biblical tithe? 10%. That's what Abraham gave to Melchizedek. 10%. What's Joseph asking for? A doubling. God has fixed this. It is true. You can stand on it. It is certain. God is going to do this. Save 20% of all the grain. The doubling means the thing is fixed by God. Not 10%. Go above and beyond that to 20%. We're going to need endless bread for the world. It's a fixed thing from God. It's a sure thing. It will happen. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and lay up the grain under the authority of the Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food will be in reserve for the land against the seven years of famine which are to befall the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal seemed good to Pharaoh. Joseph must have been extremely convincing because this is the first Pharaoh's met him when he came up to interpret his dream. And to all the servants, it seemed like a good idea. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a man as this, in whom there is the spirit of God, capital S, capital G, the spirit of the living God, the God of the Israelites. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discreet and wise as you are. <laughs> Jesus himself, if we're going to do a typology as an anti-type, Jesus is wisdom itself. Wisdom comes through Mary. Jesus came through Mary, the seed of all wisdom. Solomon was wise. Jesus is wisdom. Now Joseph is, is wiser than anyone else in the entire world power of Egypt. You shall be over my house the father's house, the Pharaoh's house, the top kahuna's house. And all my people shall order themselves as you command, Joseph. Ah, you're going to be the ruler, the sovereign one. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. There's only one greater than Joseph, Pharaoh. Joseph, that man is you. You're the one. You're the one. You have the anointing of the God of Israel. I am the only one over you in all the land. You're second in command. You're my right-hand man. You're the viceroy of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his own signet ring on his hand and put it onto Joseph's hand. Where did we last see a signet ring? Judah, Tamar. Pharaoh took that signet ring and put it on the hand of Joseph, his own ring. He took garments of fine linen, a gold chain around the neck of Joseph, and he made him ride in his second chariot right behind Pharaoh of Egypt. And they cried before him, bow the knee, bow the knee to Joseph. 
Pharaoh set Joseph over all the land of Egypt. That is so uh typologically would Jesus bow the knee. St. Paul says God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him all the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Bow the knee, bow the knee, second in command to the right hand of the Father. He's the right hand man, Joseph is, just as Jesus is the right hand man of God the Father. Numerous Bible verses tell us that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. The Father, it's the Father's plan. The Father sent Jesus. Jesus was obedient to the Father in all things. In Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, I want you to think of Joseph, what he's been through. And think of Isaiah 53. He was despised and forsaken by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Sold by his own brothers. The one rejected by his own brothers has become the viceroy of all of Egypt. The cornerstone of Pharaoh's pyramid. My God has this been done. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, Joseph, no man shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Very reminiscent of Jesus. No one can come to the Father except through the Son, except through me. No one could go to Pharaoh except through Joseph. Joseph will be the access point to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh called Joseph's name, and this is an Egyptian word, Zepnath Paneah. I looked it up. It's hard to find an Egyptian straightforward entomology for this name, but Egyptologists say the word life is in there somewhere. Hmm. Jewish tradition provides an explanation calling that name the revealer of secrets. But St. Jerome, when he translated the Bible into the Latin Vulgate, in his work on Genesis, Catholic St. Jerome gave the Latin translation Salvador Munde, which means savior of the world. Ah, Joseph, the bread of life, the savior of the world. Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanath Panier, and he gave him in marriage a Seneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. That's Mrs. Potiphar, by the way. Mrs. Potiphar. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Jesus will leave the right hand of God the Father for how long? 33 years. He will go out to be the Zephanat Panay, as St. Jerome would translate the Savior of all the world, bringing to all the bread of life. Pharaoh gave Joseph in marriage to Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, Mrs. Potiphar. Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah. Do you remember who Aseneth is? Do you remember what the oral tradition told us who Aseneth was in Genesis chapter 34, the product of the rape of Dinah and Shechem? And her brothers were so enraged, Dinah, the oral tradition says Dinah was pregnant from that rape. She conceived a child. She didn't want the child killed by her brothers who were full of vengeance. Simeon and Levi had destroyed the entire city. They wanted this child dead as well. She hid the child and took it, and it was adopted by the house of Potiphar. To save her baby from death by her vengeful brothers, Dinah gave the child who was a daughter who ends up in Potiphar's own home. 
And remember that lecture? We said that in all things, we know that in everything, God works for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Now we have a Seneth in the house of Potiphar. And now Pharaoh has given a Seneth from the house of Potiphar to Joseph, his right-hand man. A Seneth has grown up and is given in marriage by Pharaoh to Joseph. A Seneth is half Hebrew through Dinah. Hmm. Joseph is full Hebrew. He's circumcised. Son of Jacob. God the Father also gave Jesus a bride. She was half Hebrew. She was half universal. Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 30 years old. How old was Jesus when he started his ministry? 30 years old. How old did a priest have to be in the Old Testament? 30 years old. In the book of Numbers, chapter 4, count the men from age 30 to 50 years of age. How old was King David? He was 30 years old when he became king. How long did he reign in Jerusalem? 33 years. Coincidence? We have a new Jesus, a new son of David. 33 years. He'll come out at age 30 into his ministry. Luke tells us Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. His cousin, John the Baptist, would have also been 30. He's just six months behind him, and he came out into ministry first, baptizing a baptism of repentance. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth abundantly. He gathered up all the food of seven years. There was plenty in the house of Egypt, stored up food in all the cities. He stored up from every city the food of the fields around it. Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until it ceased to measure it for it could not be measured. They had so much extra grain. They have saved and saved and saved for seven years at least 20% of the abundance. The entire world now is going to have to come to Joseph for bread. And Joseph is a type of the antitype is Jesus. The entire world is going to have to come to Jesus for bread. Do you get it? He and the only one over him, Pharaoh, so it's like Jesus and the Father, will have all the bread for the entire life of the entire world at the time. It says all the earth, all the world. Before the year of famine came, Joseph had two sons from Aseneth. The daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore him. Joseph called the first son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship of my father's house. The second son he named Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that prevailed in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the lands of Egypt... There was bread. And when all the lands of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. Hmm. Someone else we know said the same with Eucharistic wine. Go to Jesus and do whatever he tells you because he can make wine flow that will never, ever, ever end the best wine you've ever had, the Eucharistic wine. It's a new creation in Cana. When Jesus was on earth, Jesus said, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away. Then they can fast. 
Amos tells us, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, not a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Do you think our country's in a famine of hearing the words of the Lord? Not in Omaha. You guys are here. You're here falling asleep. It's late, but you're here. Because you're not in a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. You want to take him into your heart. You want to understand him. Remember when Jesus was at the well with the woman in John chapter 4. And he told her he had living water he could give her. And she comes to know Jesus. She encounters him. And the disciples come back. They had gone into town to get something to eat. And they say, Rabbi, eat something. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. He's so full because he's just encountered this woman. She's had a conversion. I've got food to eat you guys know nothing about. And he goes on. There were no chapter divisions at the time, but he goes into the bread of life discourse at John 6. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Back to Egypt. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread and Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do whatever he says to do. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I am the bread of life. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Like Dismas, the good thief, like the cupbearer restored to the right hand of Pharaoh. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's me. I'm the bread of life. So we see in this story, Joseph the type, Jesus, the antitype. And we look through the hermeneutical lens of Jesus. Last verse. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. But moreover, all the earth, all the earth, some translations say all the world came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. So all the children of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph are coming to Joseph for bread, to live for life. We all children of Abraham come to Jesus, the new Joseph for the bread of life. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we praise and thank you for your servant Joseph and what he can teach us when we look through the lens of Jesus. I thank you uh, for the spiritual sense of scripture that speaks to our hearts in a mystical way. We praise you, Lord God, that you are the bread of life for the life of the world, for all of Abraham's children to come and eat and uh, to live eternally with you at the right hand of the Father. Thank you, Lord God. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 40 and 41 on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.